If you're joining us here for the first time, we're, we're actually in the middle of a series. Uh, you just saw the little plug right there, uh, following Christ, following dot feeling. It's one of the things that uh, I'm so thankful for and so proud of our church that we're able to address. It's one of the things that our society, our homes, our families, our, our members are struggling with in terms of what it means to not only follow Christ with truth, but also following Christ even in our feelings. Today, I have the privilege to address the issue of anger. And before I continue, <clears throat> I want to ask for your uh, just understanding. Uh, I've been battling a cough and a cold this whole week and just praying for God's grace that I could get through the message without coughing too much. Um, so if I do, please bear with me. Um, it's interesting because I've been coughing nonstop, even throughout the night, and it's been so frustrating it angered me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> When we met as a pastoral staff to talk about the various emotions, uh, and when we, and Pastor Harold started listing the different emotions, I immediately asked for anger. And the reason is because uh, throughout my life, I think it's, it's one of those emotions I really didn't have a grasp on. I think we all know how to feel joy or patience in some sense. Some of us are better than others at that. For me, one of the most secret sins of my heart was anger. It's the thing that broods in me. I'm truly a kimchi blood through and through. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that people have said to me is, from, the, from a distance, I seem like this pastoral nice guy, but up close and personal. You can ask my wife and children, man, there's a lot of fire. And there's, there's a lot of, lot of shame and guilt sometimes involving anger. A lot of our homes have been filled with a lot of anger, whether it's been with uh, parents and children, siblings. And all these, all these moments of anger and outbursts or rage uh, breed guilt and shame and things that we hide in our marriages, things we hide in our homes. And I know that it's one of the most powerful and controlling, often consuming emotions that we feel. Its draw is so intoxicating, it's almost impossible to deny because the moment you get angry, just you almost feel like you no longer have control. You're no longer in the driver's seat. It's just something takes over. It's almost like a dual personality. And all of a sudden, you start saying things and doing things that are almost as if you're watching yourself from a, from, from a distance, as if you're beside yourself. And there are many times, and I've talked with people, and I've shared and confessed and, and struggled with the fact that anger is something that we are trying to rid our lives from. But today, I hope we could take a holistic view of anger, understand what anger is when it is sinful, and then hopefully we'll understand uh, some of the wisdom that we find in Scripture to uh, not be held in prison to anger and resentment, which is a cousin of anger that uh, it includes time. And then we also want to see the instruction of what God's Word says in terms of us in our heart and how we approach anger, not just in action, but in our heart. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, and I'm going to read verse 26 and 27, and then I'm going to read 31 to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says this. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 31. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. <clears throat> Today we want to learn three things about anger. The first is that anger is not always a sin. Secondly, that Anger becomes sin when it is self-centered and self-serving. And thirdly, anger gets out of control when it's not dealt with swiftly. And then lastly, at the end, we'll look at some suggested ways that Scripture instructs us in how to respond. I think one of the challenges that we face as a church is that we know that we're supposed to be a witness for Christ. And we know that sometimes being out of control and living in a way that's not right with God and not a testimony to his patience, love, and kindness for us, we know intuitively that these things don't go together. The, the context of Ephesians 4 is that the Apostle Paul is not writing to the church to behave a certain way so that they could earn favor with God. Rather, it's because they have already earned his favor and grace, because they have already come into a relationship with Christ that now he's calling them to put on these behaviors, these ways that we live that are in line with our faith, that are in line with our relationship with God. And one of the things that I think uh, the church struggles with, with shame and guilt, is that we almost feel like unless we get better and right, God won't love me. And I want to just shoot that out of the water right now. I want us to be very clear that this message is not about fixing, fixing you or me so that God can love us more. He already has absolutely loved us in Christ. And because he has loved us, he gives us the freedom to learn and to meet him in the points of anger and grow in Christ-likeness. And so I've entitled this message, Anger Mold Me. It's not, at first my thought was anger calm me, but it's anger mold me. And I want God to mold us into a likeness of Christ and learn how to do this. So the first thing we want to see in this passage is that anger is not always a sin. <clears throat> I want you to notice that in verse 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. See, anger is not a sin, but it can become a sin. And here, one of the things that we want to understand in a broader picture is that anger in a fallen world, in a sinful world, with a holy God, is there can be moments when it is truly just and it is righteous. There's a righteous anger that we can have. One of the, one of the pictures of the most uh, f famous righteous or holy indignation and anger is when Jesus turns over the tables in the temple of the money changers and those who are selling for profit at the temple. And it says, and Jesus cries out to the people at the temple when he shows this holy indignation as he turns over the tables. He says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. So Jesus was showing anger for righteous sake, for God's sake, for his name's sake, for the, for the sake that the temple was supposed to be a place of worship and not a place of, of, of robbing people. The Old Testament is filled with God's anger that burned against his people Israel. If, you're, if you've read through the Old Testament recently, uh, uh, you'll, you'll remember many times when God has said, you've kindled my anger against you. And God's anger and holy indignation would come across through various plagues or, or punishments that God would send. He would cast his people out from the promised land. 
And so because of the sins of idolatry and rebellion against God and his word, God's holy anger is, is, is brought forth. For us as people, to show a holy anger is usually an expression of anger in the sense that we're speaking on behalf of God and behalf of others who maybe sometimes don't have a voice. Not that God doesn't have a voice, but we can be angry on behalf of God. There are times when we see sin in the church and its leadership and its members, and there's something that makes us frustrated and angry. And that's not a bad thing because we, we're not here to judge, but we do want to be a people who are pursuing a life that is right with God. And these days uh, in the media, we are seeing so much of the sexual and physical harassment of women. And as the voices are speaking up, we, we, can, we can sit there and we feel their pain. We feel the, the, the hurt, and it brings out a sense of anger. How could, how could people let this happen? How could people in a power and authority allow this to go on for years, even decades? And when we hear of domestic violence or when we hear of child abuse, these things anger us, and that's a holy anger because this is not how God had created us to treat one another. And whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, human trafficking, racism, the list goes on and on, and all the ways that we, we dehumanize or uh, forget the dignity and worth of how we were created as God's people, as created in his image, that one of the reasons why we fight for these causes is not because we just believe that this is a better way to live, but because we were created in the image of God, and that is to be upheld. And when that is lost or forsaken because of a selfish, self-centered activity, then there is a reason to be angry in a holy manner. Because these are the things that anger God. When orphans and widows are mistreated, God gets angry, and he calls the church to meet them in their need. When God is not loved or worshipped for who he is, God displays anger. In the Old Testament, God says, I wish that you would shut the temple doors rather than light these empty fires of worship because your heart is given over to all these other idols. And there are times when people, God's people, the book of 1 Corinthians, would tolerate sin, and it angered the Apostle Paul that they would tolerate such sins among them. And this is not by way of us taking the role of judge, but it is a pursuit and a desire that God be honored, his truth be obeyed, and our relationship with Christ be seen and manifested. There are times also when we rob God of worship, of our treasures, and of our lives in service to him. And there are times as, as Christian leaders and as ministers that we get angry, that we don't see the kind of love and support that God rightly deserves uh, among his people. But sometimes this holy anger is very quick to turn into something very bitter and selfish because it, it's, it then turns into and, and gets contaminated by the sinfulness of the way we think sometimes and the feelings and the, all the shame and insecurities that people like you and I walk around with. And one of the things that we often do when we see injustice or things that are that make us so angry. We want to see justice carried out. 
And sometimes we're impatient with God's justice and timing. And so we want to take matters into our own hands. And, and sometimes that means us saying something or us doing something or us really yelling at someone. And may I remind us as a church today as I talk about anger that there is only one person who has the right to execute judgment and on, on just injustice, and that is God. The Lord said, vengeance is mine, and justice is his, not ours, to carry out. He has given some of these rights to the society by way of legal <clears throat> authorities. But for, for us, as we think about anger, I want us to also realize that there are times when anger is not always a sin, but anger can become sin. And secondly, anger becomes sin when it is self-centered and self-serving. <clears throat> In the passage, it says, do not, uh, be angry and do not sin. So there's a point in which we pass from being angry to becoming angry in a sinful way. And we can be angry and, and not act out our anger sinfully. But a lot of times our words, our thoughts, and our emotions get the better of us. And the way it comes out and it is expressed both in our words and actions, maybe even in the ways that we project our looks, can display such a loss of control and anger. We get angry because of several reasons, and I, and I took some time to reflect on what makes me angry? What, makes, what just riles me up? I want to share a few, and I'm sure throughout the list you might, you might nod your head and agree with some of these. I get angry when we can't control something we desperately want to control. It's a frustrated desire. And there are times when uh, I think many of us have shared that I get angry. How many of you get angry at something as inanimate, inanimate as traffic? Yeah? I mean, it's not even like it's a person. It's not even like you can control it, but it feels like something that's just out to get you. You go out on a day that you think everything's going to happen a certain way, and you get out, and all of a sudden, it's just backed up, and you're like, ah. Oh. And I don't know if you ever saw Bruce Almighty, the movie, but there's a time in the movie where he just says, move, you know, and you just wish you had that power, but you don't. And because we can't control something that we desperately want to control, we get angry. And sometimes it can be a, a desire for someone's love, like a parent, a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe a child spilling something, a meal right before you have to leave, and now you're going to be 15 minutes late. And all of a sudden, the inner, inner workings of our soul, all the guilt and shame and the desire to be acknowledged and recognized, that you're going to be 15 minutes to, late to an appointment or an event or something, and you're afraid how you're going to be seen. And so it brings about an anger in you. And you wish you could control the time and the environment that you're in. Another reason why we get angry is because we feel hurt and we don't know how to express that pain. And so sometimes, eventually, it comes out as anger. You take, for example, a husband cleans a house and he's so proud of all the work that he's done in privacy and secrecy. And then once the wife comes home, he's expecting, oh my goodness, the house is so clean. Who could have done this? Did you do this? Yeah. And when she says nothing, there is a hurt. And later on that evening, the wife says something and he snaps at her because he's angry, because he's hurt. This is not me, by the way. <laughs> we get angry because we're scared and afraid that our greatest fears might come true. When my kids were younger and we were playing on, you know, on the sidewalk in streets, when the ball rolls into the street, I can tell you they will hear me loud and clear because 
I will yell at the top of my lungs, what are you doing? I can't do this because I'm going to cough if I say it too loud. And I'll just yell at them, watch, turn both ways. Did you even look both ways? What are you doing? And I'd be so angry at them. Why? Because I'm so deathly afraid that one day they're going to run out into the street and get hit by a car. We have all these fears. We have all these things, imaginations of the worst case scenario. And we are afraid of the greatest fears that they might come true. It could be of illness. It could be of a breakup. It could be of a divorce. It could be of a workplace environment where you might get laid off or fired and you have this fear. And because of this fear, this great fear, it eventually is expressed in anger and frustration. We get angry because we're self-righteous and judgmental toward others. And we become arrogant. And we, the sense of this righteousness now becomes a sense of pride where we put others down. We can't see righteousness through our own sinfulness with which it should be humility, but instead it becomes pride and we start putting others down. We may not say it, but we think it. And there are some people who are bold enough to say it and we're like, how could you say that? But we're thinking this. And sometimes we feel that we get angry because we, we think about people, we think about God and we get self-righteous and we forget our own sin. A few more, we get, we get angry because we feel entitled to something we think we deserve, but we don't get. And this sometimes can be an anger toward God. When life is cut short, when, when a parent that's supposed to be around is no longer around. I remember a young lady who lost her mom at 18 years old to breast cancer. And I remember when she was having her first child, there was a sense of sadness and loneliness and even anger at God that he took her at such a young age. And there are times when maybe we don't express it to God. We don't know how to tell God how angry we are at Him. But we are angry at Him. And there are some of you who are angry at God today. Because God didn't do what you think He ought to have done. His timing is off. He's not answering your prayer. And you're angry and frustrated at God. And sometimes it affects your worship. It's the reason why you don't wake up on a Sunday morning. It's the reason why you don't want to crack open your Bible. It's the reason why praying before a meal is so uncomfortable. Because there is an anger toward God. And you don't want to address Him in pleasantries and feel fake. So you'd rather just not address Him at all. There's an anger because we're losing control. There's an anger because we want to be God and control the things we can't. And above all, sometimes it's an idolatry because we want, above all, what I want, not God, not others. And it's truly self-serving. Anger comes from a lack of identity and we forget who we are. We forget that our affirmation, our dignity, and our worth comes from the fact that we have been made in His image and we have been purchased by His blood. That all the human affirmation and words that people can say or don't say are not going to affect who I am in Christ. And because we forget that, it evokes anger in us. How dare you say that to me? How dare you not recognize me? And there are times when, as pastors, you know, there was a, <clears throat> there was a period uh, a few years ago when, as a, as a church, 
we didn't want, I didn't want my previous church to keep calling me Pastor Jemmy, Pastor Jemmy. And then they called my wife Samonim, which is a Korean word for the wife of a significant other. It's so Korean. We didn't want to be focused on the Korean language. So I said, don't call me Pastor and don't call her Samonim. Just call her Jennifer. My name is Jimmy. And so as we, as we were doing that, and, and some of these really young kids, like 19, 20-year-old, would be like, hey, Jimmy. And I'd be like, what the... <laughs> and you know, it took, I, I realized how dis, disingenuous and dishonest that was in me, how prideful I was. And there's this misplaced sense of identity that I'm not who I am because of a title someone calls me. I am who I am because I know that God has loved, redeemed, and purchased me. There's also a sense with which anger is basically the frustrated expectations in life. Life doesn't turn out the way we want. It, it is a reality. Young just shared about his home and his second child. I knew, man, I knew that I could see it in his eyes. He's tired. And I know what it's like for early parenting years that it's exhausting. You're sleep, you're sleep deprived, you're a zombie walking around. And there are times when you wish that children would just listen to everything you say. There are times when you wish your spouse and you would just, you would, before you even utter, the, the, the other spouse would be like, I know, I got it. Wouldn't that be great? I know some of you married right now, you're like, oh my gosh, Jim, if that could happen, that'd be awesome. The problem is life doesn't always turn out the way we want. We get frustrated. And so we struggle with trust. We struggle with relationships. And we forget where God is in all this. So anger isn't always sin, but it can become sin when it is self-centered and self-serving. And thirdly, anger gets out of control when it's not dealt with swiftly. The larger portion of this passage in 26 and 27 says this, do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, first of all, I want to note that there are two things here that we want to really think about when it comes to time and the way we, uh, when anger gets out of control. How many of you believe in the old adage, don't go to bed angry? You've heard that? You probably try to live by that. And if you're married uh, and you try to live by that, you're going to realize how foolish that is sometimes. My wife and I, I remember early years when we got married. I think it was the first or second year when we got married. We got in an argument and we were trying to re reconcile and talk it through. That's code for, I want you to know that I'm right and you're wrong. And as we're talking through, it got to 2 a.m. And I had worn her out. <laughs> she was exhausted. And so she finally gave in. She, she waved the white flag and she said, okay, okay, you're right, you're right. Can we just go to sleep? I'm like, no, because I don't feel reconciled right now. I want us to work this out, talk it through. And it's and just late. And finally, she's falling asleep. I'm telling her why I said what I said. And she's just basically sleeping. And I'm just like... <laughs> Because we don't want to let the sun go down while we're angry. And the next morning we woke up and I realized, man, that was really stupid. You see, what, what, the, Paul, what the Apostle Paul is writing here is not literally don't let the sun go down. Because if you, if you got in an argument or you got angry right at sunset, does that give you 23 hours to still remain angry and bitter? No. That's not the point. The point is that the day of anger should be the day of reconciliation. 
and that you, want, you don't want time to lapse. Time can help for a moment because it gives perspective. You realize, you know, maybe this really wasn't worth fighting over. But what time does with anger and, and, it, and eventually becomes bitterness and resentment is that as time gets into this sequence of thoughts and feelings, what eventually grows is bitterness and resentment. And those are toxic to the soul, and it's toxic to our relationship with God and with people. And so here the instruction of wisdom is don't let too much time pass. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Take care of it quickly. And some of the reasons why we don't is because of pride. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I don't want to to reconcile right now. I'm going to wait for that person to apologize to me. And as we're waiting, the sun is going down over and over and over again. And I want to tell you some of the most difficult and painful marriage counselings that I've done are with couples who've let days, months, weeks, even years go by without reconciling their hurt and their pain that they've caused each other. And oftentimes the other person has no clue of the pain that they've caused the other person. They don't understand why you keep getting angry so often. What's your problem? Why are you angry so often? Why do you yell so much? Well, because there's a lot of hurt inside that I've not dealt with. And because we let time progress, it eventually becomes bitterness. And then you see the cold stone, cold, cold shoulder treatment, the stonewalling where you just eventually avoid each other. And then you see the picture of that, that husband and wife that aren't talking to each other over dinner and they're looking on their phones. It used to be the newspaper. And now they're just distant and they're not even talking or communicating. And here, one of the challenges that we face as a church when we deal with anger is we understand that as we think about time and control, there's also an enemy that wants to see us in a downfall. The enemy wants to come in. He's not the cause of anger, but he definitely wants to take anger and make it toxic. He wants you to continue to let it fester. He wants you to take the time. He wants you to think about all the scenarios that are actually untrue. I can't believe that person said that. Did they really say that? Did they mean that? And so you're thinking through these things, and all of a sudden, all the different narratives and scenarios now float in your head. It gets exaggerated, and pretty soon, you find yourself getting more and more angry. And so the wisdom of Scripture, the Apostle Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity into your moment of anger. And how do we do that? There's a lot of things we can do. One of the most healthy things we can do is to confess how angry we really are. Confession is one of the beautiful ways with which we are able to come and meet God in our anger. Um, I know that CCSC uh, has been uh, proud of its flag football program. while I was at Good News Chapel, we were at the flip side of watching you guys win all the time. It caused anger, <laughs> and therefore resentment and bit- no. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that you see in sports ministry, and this is uh, appropriate for our season, for those of you who are going to play in any type of competitive sports, and whenever churches do this, there are some people in the Christian ministry who say churches shouldn't participate in competitive sports like tournaments because what it does is bring about the evil or the negative sides in us, and so we don't want to do that, so we're not going to participate. And I absolutely 100% disagree. I think that's the reality of where we need to meet each other and meet God. 
Because when you come on a Sunday, all y'all have that Christian face on your, on, on, you know, Christian voice and Christian face. Oh, hey, Pastor Jim, praise God, you know. I'm like, come on, man. I know that's not what's going on at home. <clears throat> I've been around the block way too many times. And on the football field or any type of competitive sports, what you find is that you, you get unmasked of all the different emotions and, and lack of self-control, the injustice. You know, whenever someone makes a bad call or the ref makes a bad call, oh, it comes out. The justice side of you comes out. I demand justice. And if God won't take care of it, I'm going to take care of it. And this is where the church needs to meet each other and meet God. The confession is not about smoothing over something that is rough. It is to meet God in that place. Brothers and sisters, may I tell you, anger is not something to be avoided. It is to be confronted. It is to be confronted where you are, where you sit. That in those moments of heated anger, do you think God doesn't know what's going through your head? All the cuss words, all the thoughts of evil. I hope that person bleep and bleep and bleep and I hope they go through, the, you know. We think all these things and God is not unaware of that. He knows exactly what you're thinking. And so during confession, my real advice to all of you is to learn, as I have learned, to be very honest with God during my moments of confession. It begins with, God, this really pissed me off. This really angered me and I just go on. And I may use a few bleeps. But this is where I need to be sanctified. This is where I need to be molded and shaped by God's gospel and love for me. That as I begin to rant and share about how angry I am before God, about whatever has happened, it is in those moments that I find myself being met by this amazing, gracious, and loving God. <clears throat> I want us to think about the the ways in which we are called to respond, to Christ, respond in a Christ-like manner. In verses 31 and 32, we are told <clears throat> that we need to actually put aside some of the things that are, that are detrimental, that let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put, a, put away from you. Put those off. It's a choice that you make, just like it's a choice for you to be self-controlled and not be angry. And along with all malice, and it says three things, be kind, be tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. These instructions that Paul gives, it's not easy, but I want us to kind of explore a little bit of each of these. First of all, kindness. Francis Folks in his commentary on Ephesians uh, writes that it is love and practical action. Because if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, what is the first description of love? Love is kind. And so kindness, then, is the disposition of the mind which thinks as much of its neighbor, neighbor's affair as it does its own. The kindness means I'm thinking about you, I'm concerned about you, and I'm going to express my concern with certain actions of kindness. Tenderheartedness. This is something that I hope that this is not just a description of the ladies in the room, but the men, especially the men. That a lot of times, the way you, we want to be described as as men, as, as just masculine, and, and we want those descriptions about us. But at the same time, I hope that you understand that tenderhearted is a beautiful description of a godly man. That it is, it is used uh, one other place in the New Testament in 1 Peter 3, and it speaks of the, uh, it, it's the acts of kindness that cannot be required without the heart of sympathy and love that prompts them. This is the tenderheartedness. 
that hurt and pain can cause the hardening of the, of the heart or it can cause the softening of the heart. That when there's something that has hurt us or angered us or frustrated us, that we can choose to be hardened by it and then show this roughness or we can be softened by it and show a tenderness. You can hold on to the pain or you, or you can let it go. And that the way we let it go is really rooted in our faith in Christ. Because once you realize what, what God has done for us, we begin, to, we begin to be softened and tender. The moment you begin to talk about and confess what has angered you and frustrated you, and those moments that as you confess them and as you talk about them, you realize that the very multitude of sins that we have committed, that we have been forgiven. And that it is even though I started demanding justice, I end up thanking God for grace. A while back, several months ago, I, I wrote in a journal just my meditation of a thought that I had. I can't remember the circumstance that I was angry at my wife, Jennifer. But I remember I was so angry. I thought whatever happened was so unfair. And that's one of my favorite, my son and my, my favorite words. It's just not fair. And for those of you who are seeking justice and who always want fairness, I want you to think about this. There's a parable that I, I thought about that the Holy Spirit just brought to my heart and I was just really, I was moved by it. Because the parable of the unforgiving servant is a parable of a man who, owned, who owed his master a lot of money. And when he was called to pay the debt, he pleaded for time and, for, and, and, and as he pleaded, the, the master forgave him all his debt. And then this, ma- then this servant turns around and finds another servant who owed him a small portion of money. And then he grabs him, choking him, and he says, give me my money. And the person, the, the, the other servant pleads the same words in scripture. And as he pleads, uh, for mercy, <clears throat> he doesn't, and he, and he throws him in jail. Well, the other servants hear about this, tells the master, the master eventually finds out the, the horrid thing that this forgiven servant had done and puts him in jail. And at the end of this, it says, Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a heart issue. He's dealing with the heart issue. This is not just something we do outwardly, but it is this tenderheartedness, this softness that comes. And it only comes when we realize the gravity of how many sins we have been forgiven that we in turn then can forgive others. And when I remember what I was doing with my wife Jennifer was that I was wanting justice. God, it was unfair. I want you to carry out justice. And I was demanding justice. But with God, I want grace. When it comes to my sin, I want grace, God, no justice. Please forgive me for all of it. But with her, no, I want justice. I have right to be angry. I have right for you to be angry. And I want you to carry out some anger. And there are some, there are some times when I realize that we do this, that we want grace from God, but we want justice with others. And may I say to you, that is not the gospel. The passage here deals with the third element of forgive one another just as God and Christ forgave us. <coughs> the word here actually is not forgiveness. It's actually grace. It's literally be gracious to one another as God has been gracious to us. The translators have used the word forgiveness because that's the practical way that we'll see grace in our life. 
But I, but I want you to understand that the significance of how Paul ends this section of Scripture is that he calls us to be gracious as God has been gracious to us. It is in this place where we find freedom from anger. Because every reason you could list as to why you are angry and why you are justified to be angry, if you, put that to the, if you compare that to the cross and how much God has absolutely wiped out every one of our sin and debt, what complaint do we have left? And this is where, in moments of anger, you cannot immediately go to the gospel. Sometimes you don't want to go to the gospel. Sometimes you want to remain in your anger and you regret it later. And this is why in in the practice of spiritual disciplines, it's so important for us to remember that in smaller moments when we're not blowing up, in smaller moments when forgiveness is being asked by a child, a spouse, a neighbor, a friend, that we choose to put on the gospel. We choose to practice the gospel that has been demonstrated to us and now we can demonstrate it to others. This is a pure reflection of Christ our Lord. This is the love that we want to be able to demonstrate as a church. And this is the holy anger and wrath that we want to to voice together in all the injustices that we see. But we also do so not in a self-righteous way, but in a way that we want God to be honored and people to be honored as well. I hope that as we think about this, that one of the practical things that God calls us here is not just to confess and to come back to the gospel, but to really come to a place where we understand and that we could say to God, God, I too have sinned and angered you. And I know that if you were to take out your anger upon me, death would be for an eternity. But because of your grace that you've shown me, I will not face that anger. I will not face that wrath and judgment. All of that fell upon Christ. All of that fell upon him. And when we allow ourselves to be tenderhearted, we become molded more and more into the likeness of Christ. I don't know how Christ could sit there and as he's hanging and writhing in pain, that he could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's mind-boggling. Man, if someone just, you know, hits me or something. It's just like, ah, you know, it's just, but he's being crucified. And I hope that we understand that as much as we have been recipients of grace, God's calling us to then be dispensers of grace in our relationships, in our marriages, in our relationship with our children as parents, and in the community that we live in. When I used to drive around in Diamond Bar, I used to complain about all the different tri- types of traffic, and there was literally one, one lady who was trying to make a right turn from the left turn lane at the intersection. She, waited for, she was waiting for cars, and she just went across the entire three lanes this way, and I was one of the cars in the back. I was just sitting there like, what the heck? This is an idiot. You know, what's going on? And I was just like, but you know what crossed my mind sometimes? This is how selfish I am. I thought about, what if that person came to my church? <laughs> You should be gracious. Don't honk. Don't raise your hand. Don't wave your fist at people. The grace that we have been shown, we want to be able to show to others, to our children, to our family, to our community. And I hope that we do this with all the love and care that we've been shown 
by our Redeemer and our Lord. Anger is real. It flares. Anger is the storm of our emotions. And sometimes it, it becomes a lightning bolt with rage. If you struggle with this, may I encourage you to come to a humble place and let God soften your heart with a reminder of his love and grace in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this moment and we thank you for this time of worship. We're reminded today of your instruction in scripture, but we're also reminded of the hope of the gospel that helps us to fight against our own weaknesses and struggles with anger. I pray that now as we come to the Lord's table, may you bless our time as we remember Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.